This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner. This program covers everything related to bots and conversational interfaces. In practice, this means that we usually cover commercial bots, bots that aim to make you more productive, make it easier to buy and sell things, make it easier to communicate with companies that are providing some kind of service. But of course, bots are this general interface between humans and artificial intelligence. It's worth considering what could happen if bots manage to insert themselves into some of the most delicate matters of social interaction. That's the topic of today's episode. My guest is Tim Huang. He's an affiliated researcher at the Oxford Internet Institute, and he's written a fascinating paper with Leah Rosen called Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, International Law and the Future of Online PSYOPs. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about the types of bots that you're talking about here, um, these bots rooted in PSYOPs. Sure, definitely. So, John, I think one of the first things to set up in this conversation is the idea that the kind of bots that we're talking about here, they differ from the, the kinds that you might usually have on the show, which is that typically when you're interacting with for example, a bot on Facebook Messenger, for instance. Um, you know it's a bot, you know it's a, a brand or a company that you're interacting with. Um, what's different and what we study in this paper is bots that um, look like humans. They're trying to simulate and fool you into thinking that they are a person. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one kind of the sort of bot that we're dealing with. Um, the other one is the one that's sort of obviously a bot that's uh, spamming, right? One that's intended to disrupt or otherwise interfere with your ability to communicate online in that sense mm -hmm. that they're sort of offensive bots in some ways. And, you know, one of the triggers and one of the differences, another difference that I'll point out is um, that these bots are used for uh, influence purposes, mm -hmm. right? Uh, rather than trying to um, service you online, um, their purpose is to persuade or, or otherwise make it impossible for you to interact uh, online, whether that be a social platform like Twitter or Facebook or, or elsewhere. And this is a category of interaction that, as you've mentioned in the paper, has been around for a while uh, under the term PSYOPs, uh, psychological operations. It's something that countries have concerned themselves with from some time. So what are PSYOPs and uh, what's new about bots as a, an element of PSYOPs? One of the things that we're looking at in this paper uh, is sort of the intersection of two trends, right? One of them is bots and automation uh, online which is a phenomenon that's been with us for a very long time. I mean, the first bots were, you know, on BBSs, mm -hmm. right? There's been a longstanding phenomenon on the internet. Um, and uh, normally for a long time, right, these bots were kind of fun toys, right? Things that you'd have in a chat room uh, that you might interact with. Uh, it might do some small helpful things for a community that's based around, for example, an IRC channel or what have mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, one of the phenomenons we're investigating is the fact that bots now on social media uh, can now communicate with huge numbers of people. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. so that's one trend, right? Which is a transition in what bots are used for and the kind of audiences that they have online. The second trend that we're really interested in is uh, the attempt by states, non-state actors who see all this conversation happening on the internet and have interest in attempting to shape or influence it, hmm. right? And these two are kind of coming together in a really interesting way where governments are are kind of taking on these um, techniques, these campaigns of persuasion, and they're finding that bots are a really effective way of implementing that strategy. Now, what are the governments doing exactly, or what are the non-state actors doing? 
Well, one historical analog to what they're doing is this sort of notion of psyops or psychological operations, which is uh, you know roughly defined sort of the strategic use of persuasion uh, to accomplish certain kinds of either military ends or state ends or, mm-hmm. or otherwise kind of um, uh, objectives uh, on the on the part or on behalf of an organization. So this is something where you might have seen like leafleting from airplanes at some point in the past, right? That's right. So the, the old fashioned psyops were that you know yeah you'd have a government or your your uh, or your intelligence community they would they would take over or operate a radio station for mm-hmm. instance mm-hmm. or uh, they would fly a plane over a country and drop leaflets uh, and all of these were attempts to kind of persuade or shape the behavior of a population in ways that would kind of support the ends of a government. The interesting thing about a lot of the bots that you describe is that they they develop kind of convincing or, or in many cases not so convincing backstories where they have sort of interactions between each other and between real people so that the depth of their sort of realistic posture is remarkable. And they look like plausible sort of uh, characters who are taking part in a political conversation or or some other kind of conversation. Yeah, you know, I think in the past we used to have like a Turing test. What we really have now is like a Turing free-for-all, right? It's this kind of whole <laughs> notion that, you know, what we're running really in real time as these governments and, and also non-state actors, I would say, t- terrorist groups, all sorts of things, are attempting to persuade people online. There's this active competition to try to persuade people that they are in fact real, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think people are getting smarter over time, right? And certainly platforms uh, are now kind of maybe taking down at least the most egregious spots in a way that they mm-hmm. didn't in the past. But this hasn't stopped them, right? I think what we ultimately have is this arms race where people get a little bit smarter, the bot cre- creators get a little bit smarter. And the end result is that you have these identities online that, that can actually start to look really quite real. How sophisticated are these bots technologically? I mean, are they using a lot of like cutting edge deep learning techniques or are they effective just because of kind of their scale and, and breadth and the volume of noise that they're able to uh, inject? Right. So there's two parts to this question. I mean, one of them is we can talk about how things are in the present. And then the second part, we can talk a little bit about where we think things are going to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the present, you know, I would say that bots are not particularly sophisticated. Right. It turns out that, um, you know, a lot of bots just say the same thing over and over again. They're attempting to spam. That's their main mm-hmm. strategy. Mm-hmm. I would say to date, the bots have actually been aided by the fact that many humans online look very much like bots or they behave in bot-like <laughs> ways, which has actually allowed relatively rudimentary bots to have great success in terms of engaging people in conversation online, uh, being able to spread content around, um, a whole number of different things. Right. Um, and the reason why the bots have been relatively rudimentary is because mostly it's been expensive. So if you are, uh, you know, someone with malintent mm-hmm. who wants to get uh, a thousand realistic identities to be online and, and give the impression that there's a great upswell to, for example, support a political candidate, um, it would be really difficult right now to do that believably. It'd be very expensive to do so. You'd need humans writing a lot of the content. Um, you would have to manually generate a lot of markers of identity, right? Mm-hmm. Profile pictures, bios, um, other websites that are part of this identity. Um, that's all stuff that has limited the believability because often it's just ended up being more effective to run these really rudimentary bots that just kind of execute very dumb strategies. Right, right. Well, and one of the things we point out in the paper, and this is kind of going to the second part of that, is like what happens next, right? We have this trend. It's clear there's an interest in persuading. So if you have that interest, if there's a will, there's a way, where does this all go? Mm-hmm. And what we take a look at is two things in the paper. One of them is the idea that in the future, it'll be a lot cheaper to generate believable identities. And that's partially driven by 
um, breakthroughs and advances that are happening in machine learning and deep learning. So it's easier than ever, for example, to create um, synthetic, uh, realistic sounding human speech. Mm -hmm. It's easier mm -hmm. than ever to create realistic faces that don't actually have any connection to any real faces. Right. Um, and, and similarly, I would say the second trend we've been looking at is that we increasingly have a lot of science about how large groups of people behave, right? You, we, we have research suggesting, okay, well, we can mathematically model how misinformation spreads through a network, mm -hmm. right? And in my mind, what happens is those two things start to, to combine to actually make these techniques considerably more powerful, right? That the mm -hmm. bots will become more and more believable, but that they will actually also execute strategies that are more able to kind of manipulate groups at scale. And so I think while the current state of the art is quite rudimentary, our paper tries to kind of look around the corner and say, okay, where does this happen? Where does this go in the next four or five years, 10 years? Right. There was an interesting uh, instance a couple of years ago, or in 2014, um, that kind of illuminates some of the shortfalls in the current state of the art of, of malicious bots. Uh, the, the, the Colombian chemicals hoax uh, yes, in, right. in Louisiana, there arose this really interesting uh, hoax kind of seemingly out of nowhere where people started getting text messages and social media messages uh, that said that a, a nearby chemical plant had had a, a leak of toxic chemicals and that everyone was endangered. And I think that this was later kind of linked to the Russian government as as maybe kind of a trial of some of these uh, techniques. Galad Lotan did some really awesome uh, work on this. Yeah, it's a great the, post. Yeah. The thing that you notice when you reflect on it is, is how the... Um, the personalities that the the hackers used um, don't quite seem plausible, right? They don't use English that's exactly what a native English speaker um, would use. Some of their backstories just don't quite hold up. And it seems like it it came very close to the line of plausibility, but fell just short of it enough that it never quite caused the mass hysteria that it was maybe you know intended to cause. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, uh, I, I saw that example too, and I think it's a really interesting. It's certainly one of the more complex examples I've I've seen, mm -hmm. where you're not only using bots, but you're also using you know fabricated content. I think Galad also put, uh, found this really interesting thing where they had actually fabricated their own Wikipedia post hmm. that had been kind of like very delicately built up over a, a period of time. And and yeah, I think it was truly, you know, to use a kind of outdated phrase now, a kind of multimedia sort of <laughs> psychological operation. Right, right. Um, and, and I think that's right. I mean, I think they are limited in this respect right now. I mean, what a lot of the bots focused on in that particular attack, if you will, was basically to use... Uh, the repetition of content as a way of driving it to trending, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. which is a, a classic technique that we've seen uh, that is a good way of exploiting it if you can't actually create believable identities. Then the question is, what happens when you can actually create believable identities, which to me, it's a question of when rather than if. Right, right. It, I mean, it reminds me of the process that a lot of like AI researchers go through where... Um, uh, you know, maybe the attack had like a product manager who was saying, uh, you know, well, we need, let's map this out. We need a Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia page is only going to be plausible if it has like at least three editors. So, okay, we need to like create three editor accounts. We need to get them to to edit some, uh, you know, some harmless uh, mundane stuff for a few weeks beforehand. Uh, and uh, so, so you come up with this model of how a complex social system works and uh, and you try to reverse engineer it, and then you discover that that the complex uh, social thing that you're trying to model is actually much more complex than you anticipated that's right uh, i mean it's almost like it's persuasion by waterfall right like actually yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the idea was to construct all the, these materials and actually I, I mean i wonder whether or not this will um change in the future right which is like 
you know, look, uh, we can look in the non not so nefarious world to like marketing agencies that basically mm-hmm. sold services being like, we can make your content go viral. And it turns out that <laughs> right, actually right. is in fact like an incredibly sort of difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that we can kind of do this, it's largely based on people being able to ride the wave of existing sort of memes out there right, in the space. Right. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe a more agile approach to persuasion is actually what we'll, we'll see emerge <laughs> over time. It's sort of an intriguing um, thought, but but I, I think it's entirely possible, you know? Yeah. So uh, you, you spell out a few really interesting, uh, what you call future scenarios uh, in your paper. I wonder if you could walk us through a couple of them. These are kind of conceptual fictional um, accounts of how a bot might influence uh, society or cause some some kind of chaos. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I definitely have to walk through that. In many ways, I think it's it's my favorite part of the paper because, you know, we spend a lot of time saying like, what exactly is the difference between, you know, old psyops and new psyops? And it's, it's very <laughs> right, abstract. Right. And so the big part about it is, can we actually illustrate the kind of threat that we see emerging here? Mm-hmm. So I'll talk about two of them, which I think are, are fun and maybe throw up a couple of different issues to talk about. So one of them is a hypothetical future where basically... Uh, say you're running a terrorist organization and, and man, you really want to radicalize people so they can do some damage in whatever your target country is. But, you know, radicalization and recruiting people for a terrorist act, that can, that can be a really expensive operation. You got to get people mm-hmm. online looking for people who are posting. You don't know if the people posting are just, you know, they're just honey traps for you run by some foreign intelligence agency. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's pretty tough out there um, if you're a terrorist organization trying to recruit. And so it basically posits that maybe in the future, what you'll do is you'll run a number of bots um, that are actually fake identities that are moving around the web, trolling for people who might be uh, potential targets for radicalization and recruitment. They're qualifying the leads. They're qualifying the leads, right? Exactly. Yeah. And and I think it's very much kind of like a throughput question, right? Which is like, how do you get enough conversions um, in, uh, uh, in a relatively inexpensive way? So the, the scenario basically posits a situation where we have lots and lots of these recruitment bots out there that are looking for people that match certain behavioral patterns and maybe do a little bit of probing. So they say, this mm-hmm. person posted something relatively radical. What I'm going to do is going to ask them a question or put a piece of content in front of them and see if they sort of take the bait, right? Or they react mm-hmm. to it or not. And based on that, they could signal a human operator, which then could either come and imbue the personality of the bot. Or, in fact, contact them otherwise to bring them into maybe a more secure channel to talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is, seems to be, strikes me as a way of kind of scaling up an operation and might potentially be a means of creating sort of radicalized people who, who, who do take some kind of terrorist action without even the knowledge of some, some central authority. It's kind of like a, a highly agile, you know, dynamic A-B testing, right? You can, yes. you can work down these really... Uh, finely developed pathways and sort of test out different lines at different points in the recruitment process. That's right. And it's one of the things that we point out in the process, which is like, you know, traditional psyops, this leafleting and the uses of radio stations, it, it many ways had all the problems of, you know, advertising on those meetings. So it, was that, <laughs> right, it actually right. turns out to be really difficult to tell and customize your message um, mm. to a particular person, right? And then also to evaluate the results of that persuasive effort. But what's interesting here is actually with these messaging techniques, you can actually see whether or not you're having an effect. We can have different bots trying different recruitment tactics, and they can actually self-optimize accordingly, hmm. right? So there's sort of interesting things where maybe maybe a bot, uh, a swarm of bots actually learns how to, how to do this better on their own, um, just based on their kind of experience of what works and what doesn't work. Um, right, right, right. 
No, yeah. And so, so I think that's, that's one scenario that we posit around. Okay? And that's kind of a very like targeted form of persuasion. Um, yeah. I think we're also really interested, for example, in um, efforts to, to combine, for example, um, traditional cyber attacks with persuasion efforts, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. posit another situation where um, basically uh, hackers are able to find that there's like, uh, find a bunch of documents suggesting that there's wrongdoing in a bank, mm-hmm. right? And the effort is basically to use a bunch of uh, bots to kind of percolate out this message to a bunch of reporters who then are kind of persuaded that something is happening mm-hmm. uh, because there is a mix of both real and fake information. And in doing so, they kind of get this hype cycle going that causes a, a tailspin in the capital markets, right? Right, right. And this is sort of an interesting thing because I think a lot of these techniques may combine, right? So if, if you've been watching some of the, the, the discussion around the 2016 election, mm-hmm. right, it seems like there's a combination of both using hacking to acquire documents from the DNC and potentially from the RNC, right? And then a systematic form of leaking those documents out as a way of undermining or shaping the political discourse. Right. So again, I think there's a couple of techniques here combining that that I think really opened up this interesting discussion in the computer security space, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're familiar with computer security, the traditional idea of social engineering is very much one-on-one. Like I call a building pretending to be the CEO and I mm-hmm. persuade someone to get me the password. Right, right, right. And that's a kind of security, but I think there's this broader sense of security that, that happens when you're talking about, okay, how do you secure a whole population of people against these kinds of sort of scaled automated persuasion methods? Right, right. This in this scenario, like your first one, the radical radicalization, uh, you're taking a, a, a social process that already exists in some form. You know, plenty of hedge funds do this, right? They uh, they short some stock and then they distribute a lot of damaging information and uh, hope to cause uh, some volatility or or the you know long term decline of the stock. In in both cases, what you're doing is you're taking a a kind of social mechanism that already exists and you're speeding it up dramatically because your access to a human like conversational agent is so inexpensive and the scale that's available is so immense. You know, you don't have to have your five most trusted radicalization salespeople, uh, you know, out contacting everyone one-on-one and testing what works and and who knows. Um, you know, you don't have to create thoughtful releases of financial data based on um, months and months of work and leak it to exactly the right journalist where it may or may not take off. You're able to kind of sprinkle these experiments around all over the place and then gradually have enough kind of response data that you could integrate it into a pretty sophisticated algorithm and, and start optimizing stuff. Right. And I, I think there ultimately the cost, the, the, the question is around cost, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like how how long before these sorts of techniques become cheap enough for it mm-hmm. to become a practical option for, for those who would persuade at scale? Right, um, right. And, and I should point out also that there's a flip side to this too. I, I thought a lot about you know um, the use of bots to slow down the soul, certain social processes as well. Hmm. So uh, for a while, I was experimenting with kind of the use of bots that would attempt to challenge the whole vaccines cause autism meme online. Okay. Right? And so these would basically be bots that were embedded in social uh, social groups all around the web, and they would behave like real people, right? And the, the main point of them is that they would basically monitor. They'd be waiting mm-hmm. for someone to sp- spread a link saying, hey, have you heard about this? It looks like vaccines cause autism. And then they would be designed to trigger and like deploy countermeasures, right? Basically mm-hmm. say like, mm-hmm. that's not real, that's not right. Or maybe you want to talk to this other person who feels very strongly about this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. on net, the idea is to basically seed a network so it slows down the spread of an idea. Right, right. And I think that's also a really interesting idea, potentially too, right? Which is like, uh, if you think about the more nefarious uses of this, you imagine, okay, 
you have a government that doesn't want to necessarily be seen to be outwardly preventing activists from organizing against your government, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. it may be very, very beneficial to have bots that do small things to make it more difficult for people to coalesce around the particular issue. So, yeah. you know, uh, one of the papers that we cite in our, our uh, one of the papers that we cite in our paper um, is analyzing how the Chinese um, uh, 50 cent army works. Um, and there, the the strategy is actually just to derail conversations, right? So huh. there's people attempting to organize politically, you just talk about other stuff, you try to drown <laughs> out or otherwise derail the conversation. And you imagine what the, the subtle effect of that is on, on large scale, you know, it, it feels like, you know, this is now a case that we don't really deal with in our paper, which is governments using it against their own people. But you could also imagine it being used for offensive purpose, right? Like governments against other governments or non-state actors against governments. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's an, uh, you know, probably a moment in the acquisition of an opinion, right, where there's kind of a, a, a period of discernment. You've heard something. It sounds plausible. You're kind of deciding whether to believe it. You're seeking signs of social support for it. You know, you're 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 putting it on Facebook. You're seeing if people uh, you admire, people whose opinions you you hold in high regard, um, agree with you or disagree with you, and you're very sensitive at that moment. And so, if a bot reaches out to you at that moment, at this like moment of of great leverage, uh, it could it could discourage you from acquiring the opinion, right? That's right. Yeah. I, in many ways, it's kind of like um, it's like almost like a missile defense system, right? Like you just yeah. have to you have to get the person just at the right point. Right, um, right. And, and I, who knows? I mean, maybe that turns out to be a more difficult task than we think. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I think th- these are more, these, these are, I think it's, in, it's an empirical question as to whether or not these types of techniques become more evident. But I mm-hmm. think what's much more, seems much more certain, in my opinion, is the ability to shape kind of behavior at large scale, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. you might not necessarily be able to catch someone at the point of them forming an opinion. But you may be able to aggregate and mobilize people who already agree with a certain position more effectively than you have in the past. Right, right. Yeah, the equivalent of of kind of the um, what was then thought of as micro targeting in like the 2008 election, where you know whose doors to to knock on with canvassers. But now you can do it immediately and and to great effect um, through bots on social networks. Yeah, and I think it's it's very much, I mean, I think it's right to point out like these trends, right? Which Mm -hmm. is that actually, in fact, like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the arguments that are used for online advertising are arguments that you can use here as well, right? Hmm. Like the, you know, like, oh, you have sufficient data to figure out who's the right person to talk to, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And and I think that's that's very much the case that we're making here. The idea is just, it doesn't turn out to be in service of a business. It turns out to be in service of a political actor. Got it, got it. Now, uh, you are a lawyer, or you have a you have a law degree, um, uh, <laughs> and uh, you've you've done some really interesting research here on the legal issues related to uh, to bots used for this kind of purpose. Do the frameworks that that we have already uh, the legal frameworks that sort of might address this kind of thing in the pre-bot era? Do they hold up in the bot era? Well, so this is the problem that we attack on the paper. We've got a lot of throat clearing, but when we get down to it, the real question of the paper is, do existing legal frameworks end up being an effective way to manage these threats cross-national? Mm-hmm. Right? And ultimately, the answer is no, right? Like that, In fact, international law really hasn't dealt with these problems in the past. Um, and in, in, even more, in order to do so, there may be some really big challenges on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're really intrigued by it because... You know, maybe in the past with like leafleting or radio or whatever, it was difficult to quantify the impact. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. actually, in fact, they were not very effective. Like you wonder about leafleting and like 
do leaflets actually get people to persuade? Like, I know I read this thing off of, uh, uh, that came down at me from an airplane. Like now <laughs> right, I feel right. really bad about the government. Right. 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 Do phone um, surveys. Hey, did you see this leaflet? That's right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. And so kind of the argument that we're making here is, look, if you believe that these technical trends are going to produce much more effective bot campaigns, but generally campaigns of persuasion in the future, mm-hmm. um, maybe it justifies another a closer look at whether mm-hmm. or not we can do anything internationally to deal with these sorts of techniques. And there's some really interesting history here that I'll mention before I dive into it, right? Sure. I think the best anecdote that we uncovered was basically in 1999. It was in fact Russia that went to the UN and said, look, in the future, there's going to be these things called online information weapons, which include the use of uh, online channels to attempt to undermine a citizen's group, a group of citizens' belief in their government. Sure, sure. And they said that this is, in fact, such a big danger that we need to take an action on it. We need to pass a ban. We need to find ways of limiting these sorts of techniques. And it was actually, in fact, uh, the U.S. that said, no, we're not going to be on board with this. Huh. And you sort of get the feeling that Russia was like, okay, well, maybe we'll just get really good at this then. Right, right, and right. Sort of dealing with this like, you know, 17 years down the road. Um, Is the understanding that the U.S. felt it had an advantage against uh, Russia at the time in 1999? Uh, it's difficult to tell from the documents. I mean, that's certainly one interpretation that I've heard, which is that like, look, we've been running things like Voice of America for a very long time. We wouldn't <laughs> right, want to limit right. our ability to run those types of campaigns. Yeah, yeah. The soft power of the United States. I mean, we had Hollywood, we had uh, Microsoft, you know, it was it, it, the, the U.S. was at uh, an unimaginable sort of zenith of influence around the world. That's but right. Exactly. Probably right. wasn't thinking well, a lot about this. Why would you want this. to give it up? Right. Although I right. think it actually really does. Your comment points out this really interesting problem that we run into, which is basically to say, OK, so so say you're persuaded. You actually think these techniques are going to become a bigger threat in the future. Um, what should you do about it? Okay, well, maybe we should try to change international law to be better able to deal with this situation. Mm-hmm. But you immediately get into these problems, right? Which is like, uh, if Obama speaks about not leaving the European Union, right? He opined yeah. on the question of Brexit. Is that a psychological operation that should be limited? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If Hollywood is a component of American soft power and influence, is its export to other countries a psyop? Mm-hmm. Interesting mm-hmm. problem. And then there's actually, it turns out to be really interesting problems on the international law side as well, right? Which is that typically we say that states have sovereignty, which means that they have control over a certain set of things. It'd be really difficult because in order to say that international law operates at the level of sovereignty is also to say that countries, a definition of a country is that they're, they have unique control over the opinions of their people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. That in order to get it to fit into the framework of international law, you would also have to believe this idea that uh, a nation has the right to take action if it's if the opinions of its citizens are being influenced. Right. Right. And that sets up a really interesting precedent that we may not be so comfortable with. Right. Which is that maybe we actually don't believe that states and what it means to be a state is um, unique control over the hearts and minds of its people. And right. it's one of the problems that we kind of point out here. And and I mean uh, that kind of control was much easier to affect. Uh, back during, say, the Cold War era, when um, it was a matter of like antennas pointed across the Iron Curtain in each direction, right? And then there was just this kind of very linear, direct um, route by which uh, American influence reached the Eastern Bloc and and vice versa. The lines were understood. Some information certainly got through, but you could sort of jam one side or the other, or build a different antenna somewhere else. And it was, it was at least transparent uh, in a way that it seems these types of bots are not. Yeah, and I think this is one interesting difficulty in the situation, right? Um, particularly because a lot of these platforms as companies want to protect their independence. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So it's very difficult to figure out who is behind the bot if the bot isn't actually declared to, mm. to be run by someone or another. Right. And even mm-hmm. if it did declare, how would you know whether or not it was the case? Right. Right. Uh, and and I think that leads to another complication, right? Because like unlike an airplane, which might give away where it was coming from or where it was going, right? A message on Twitter, or in fact, hundreds of thousands of messages on Twitter, it's like difficult to tell, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Where where how you attribute an attack becomes a lot more difficult. So uh, you, you you've also looked at uh, how the kind of um, international framework for determining when a war is justifiable might be used in in cases like this. Yeah, so this is also another interesting element of it, which is so how about this question, right? Does running a psyop on Twitter constitute an act of warfare, right? So <laughs> that the complicated thing about that, right, is that in international law we have a notion of proportionality, right? Hmm. If someone sends a, a you know, a single guy into your country to to go shoot up a base or something, mm-hmm. uh, you're not allowed to shoot a nuclear bomb back, right? Right, like, right. Like there's some balance there. But in order to say that an act of that persuasion itself is an act of warfare, it automatically raises the question of whether or not you can retaliate. And mm-hmm. if so, what that retaliation would take the form of, right? Mm-hmm. And that's actually mm-hmm. something where the international norms have not yet really been established, right? Um, Obama sanctioned Russia, right? That's one mm-hmm. potential approach that we could say is proportional. Um, it feels weird to say that, okay, the norm of government should be that you should be able to run a PSYOPs counteroffensive against the <laughs> other country. Right. It also seems weird and potentially open to abuse to be able to say, okay, that kind of act also justifies you um, using kinetic force, right? Sending a missile in response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I try to influence your systems, you know, shooting at me, uh, it's unclear whether or not that's actually a good norm that we want to set down. Because again, how how far are the bounds of persuasion? What exactly are we we're, we're, what exactly are we worried about here? Yeah, I mean, many many countries, uh, democracies, and autocratic uh, sort of regimes would argue that you know the explicit external intervention in an election is as great an insult to the nation as a physical invasion. Sure. You, can, you can imagine that uh, argument being made. I think the, the framework isn't there yet, but as you're arguing in this paper that uh, the chaos that could be brought about by, uh, by these types of bots might approach the level of uh, physical disruption and harm that a small invasion could as well. Right. I mean, so the argument there would be going back to the radicalization example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if I send a soldier into your country to, to do damage, Right, that's very clearly like potentially an act of war, mm-hmm. right? Um, but if I just persuade someone to do so, it seems like we have we reach the end result. And so the question is whether or not that act of persuasion is sufficient, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to kind of trigger this sort of problem, hmm. um, which is I think a kind of interesting challenge here. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's uh, ultimately it's it's your own citizens' decision to sort of uh, become radicalized. Yeah, well, but but that's the debate, right? Like, do you right. hate the player or do you hate the game? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I think one also way of taking this, I, I once I saw, once saw a talk years ago. Uh, it was when uh, Brick House was still a thing in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Um, and this this talk really stuck in my head. It was by someone who studies uh, meteors that might fly at the Earth. Hmm. And they said, look, in the past, there hasn't been a whole lot of coordination about meteors flying at the Earth. But his prediction was that we would, because suddenly we have a much better uh, sense of our, um, we have a much better sense of where the meteors are and Uh which ones are likely to be coming towards the planet. And so, in fact, the increase of data necessitates a response. Uh, And I think I wonder whether or not the same is true here, right? Which is in the past, we maybe just like rounded to zero. We said, well, we can't really tell whether or not your persuasion had an effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the minute we can say, okay, you ran this campaign and we know it had this result. 
that transparency, that that knowledge about the effectiveness of persuasion hmm. may become a, a trigger to take some kind of action on this. So maybe this is the great patriotic obligation of the advertising industry now, is to turn <laughs> their considerable talents and uh, insight into this process uh, to uh, <laughs> international relations. Influenced uh, campaigns. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. That's right, that's right. I mean, you know, they're, they're certainly spending enough time on it right now. So. <laughs> you uh, you have some suggestions at the end of the paper. It's not all uh, as as gloomy as as it sounds uh, here, but there there are some paths that you see for uh, how governments and others ought to address this potential uh, crisis. What uh, what are you thinking? So there's a couple of ways of uh, potentially attacking this problem. Um, we have a laundry list in our paper, but I'll name three. Um, the first one is around the idea of nations coming together to form kind of an investigative body that'd be responsible for uncovering and publicizing the source of these kinds of attacks. The second one is that maybe nations, because they're very concerned about these types of techniques, eventually come to mutually attempt to pressure platforms to take a stronger hold over the use of these types of techniques on those platforms, right? So the idea here would be that Twitter or Facebook would get pressure from governments to actively weed out persuasive campaigns of this kind. And the final one is one around um, really trying to moderate this at the edges, basically the idea that we might engage in media literacy campaigns or release certain types of software that would give people more notice about when kind of suspicious persuasive activity was happening in their particular bubble. Could governments pool their resources to create kind of this uh, transnational investigative body of sorts, hmm. right? Whose goal would be to identify these campaigns as they are occurring, try to figure out who's committing them, and then publish information about it publicly, right? That seems potentially an interesting option because at least it would create more transparency for the international community on mm -hmm. who and why is engaging in these kinds of techniques. Now, the trouble is whether or not a state would be comfortable funding that if they themselves might be found out. Right, right, right. Um, I think that's that's one interesting challenge here, but potentially something that you could work on. Is there any precedent for this kind of uh, you know public clearinghouse of psyops data in in you know the older uh, regime of psyops? I don't believe so. I haven't I haven't seen it. If it has in fact existed, it's always been mm -hmm. kind of in this like twilight zone. Mm -hmm. uh, though I mean, obviously we have things like Interpol, right? Like we right, have all right. these like international law enforcement bodies, right? But um, as you well, suggest, if everyone is doing it, then uh, no one wants a completely transparent pool of accounts. Exactly, right. right. Yeah. So, so I think that that's one trouble with that plan. Um, another one we take a look at is maybe actually the, the countries at some point will decide to put much more pressure on the platforms, mm -hmm. which I think is an interesting development, right? Which is that maybe everybody says, okay, this these information channels are creating so much trouble for us that collectively mm -hmm. we as a group of countries maybe want to put some pressure on these platforms to take stronger action, hmm. right? Which again... Sort of interesting, right? Raises a number of interesting public policy questions on whether or not we're comfortable with maybe the restriction of free speech that might entail. Right. Or if we actually are okay with further government interference in these online communication platforms. Yeah. But is, is potentially a route that they might go down and maybe one that we might approach as more and more governments come victim to these sorts of techniques. And as we've discussed, uh, some of these attacks are, are quite sophisticated. I mean, is this something that the platforms themselves are, you know, capable of of blocking in a meaningful way? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a cynical view and a a, a more earnest view. I think I'm generally of the more earnest view, but mm -hmm. I think the cynical view is basically like, look, these platforms, if there's realistic bots creating lots of controversy on them, eh, it might actually be good for traffic. We have more active users we can claim. <laughs> there's more engagement. Uh, right, right. More ads against it. 
right? I don't entirely believe that, but that's one point of view that I've heard. I would say the mm-hmm. other one that I'm more sympathetic to is is what you're pointing out, which is in fact that it's like genuinely difficult in some cases yeah. to determine um, who is a bot. And and in fact, in fact, in order to do a better job of that, it would make it really difficult for people to gain the anonymity that they've usually enjoyed on these platforms, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is to say, like, look. Facebook could say, look, you have to you have to submit your passport when you sign up for a Facebook account. Right. <laughs> right, and, right. and that might actually really reduce the the effectiveness of these campaigns because it becomes so expensive to create accounts. Mm-hmm. Now would we would be comfortable as with Facebook as like a central processor for passports? Like probably not. Right, right, right. And so I think there's a number of really interesting challenges here, which is like what are the obligations of these platforms with regards to attempts to persuade on these platforms? And what kinds of persuasion are are not good versus good? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think there's this really interesting, maybe philosophical question of what we think unfair competition in the marketplace of ideas is, where huh. you're allowed to rally people to try to express an opinion. Right. Maybe they right. don't actually think it's justified for you to use bots. Yeah. And, uh, you know, would cutting off these sort of mechanisms for using bots uh, begin to cut off the options for, uh, you know, counterbot efforts, the kind of thing yeah. that you're describing, the slowing down effort uh, type of thing, if you begin to make it harder for all bots, then. It's kind of like the 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 classic gun rights mantra, you know. If if uh, guns are illegal, then only criminals will have guns. Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you if you switch off a mechanism that's an important way of of bringing ideas into the marketplace, then it becomes hard for good ideas to to resonate as well. Right. So we've got the two options, right? That are like governmenty and like I think they they come with their problems, as you can see. Mm-hmm. I, I would say one of the ones that I'm I'm excited about, but again, like has has a number of challenges, but maybe is the one that that feels most promising to me mm-hmm. is the idea that we might try to focus on inoculating the public, right? Hmm. So one idea here is like again, it's always been an arms race, right? I'm sure when billboards first came out, people were like, "It's on the board, of course I'll buy the product," <laughs> but like slowly the persuasive effect of that billboard declined over time, right? And right maybe the right. same happens here as well. You just have to make sure that the, the the public can keep up with the speed of the development of these types of techniques. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's some media literacy things here you can do, but you could also imagine saying, like, what if we made it a standard um, on these platforms that they would give the user information about when an account was exhibiting suspiciously persuasive behavior, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it might pick up some humans on that. You might have a friend who's like super self-promotional. Right, right. That. But the idea is to make a user conscious of when active persuasive techniques are being used. Uh, And what would that look like, right? Would users be able to say, oh, yeah, this is actually really suspicious. These accounts are telling me that vaccines cause autism, but they were all created a month ago and all by the same IP. Right, right. right. Like maybe this actually starts to help us resolve some of these problems at the edges of the network versus at the center of the network. Right. Uh, And and as a potential approach as well that I think is is promising. Now there's obvious questions about how you get that deployed, right? Right, right. um, But again, raises some of these, uh, avoids some of the more difficult questions. Mm -hmm. uh, and and given the speed of what's happening, it may actually be necessary to attack this initially through code while we mm. work out the norms. And right, right. It's kind of a more uh, market-based approach where you just encourage the societal norms to change around the problem rather than uh, bombing the problem out itself. A little bit like what Facebook is doing with the kind of uh, uh, dubious source flag that now appears on some posts. And a couple of years ago, they introduced a satire flag that you know that they put on posts that it that seemed likely to confuse people. That's right. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, uh, I mean, that goes down to a whole nother discussion we go down, which is like, what, what are the kinds of intervention that we think are permissible mm-hmm. in the context of managing discourse online? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that's very intimately tied to this question, right? I think that you know, in the heady days of the 2000s, when we were envisioning what these Web 2.0 platforms would give us, mm-hmm. I think we thought that crowds would be very robust against persuasion, right? That like falsehood would be easily weighted out because you had so many observations coming in from all sorts of different places that it would clearly be an outlier, right? And I think what we're learning is that that these systems, these processes are actually a lot more vulnerable than we thought they would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that actually behooves us to think about like that they, these actually need to be actively defended um, hmm. against sort of subversion. Um, and how do we do that within the context of free speech, I think is a fascinating question, but it's very much tied in with this debate over, you know, what do we do about psyops? What do we do about bots online? Okay, cool. So three remedies that you described then, the kind of Interpol approach, where uh, governments try to come up with a, a transparent, transnational view of what's going on. Uh, there's pressure on the platforms to regulate this. And then there's uh, you know, changes around the edge to encourage society to adapt and better understand issues related to the quality of the information that they're consuming. This is fascinating, Tim. Uh, the, the paper I recommend to uh, ev- all the listeners, uh, the title is Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, International Law and the Future of Online PSYOPs. And it's by Tim Huang and Leah Rosen. There's a link to it in the show notes that accompany this episode of the podcast. Tim, it's been a real pleasure to speak with you today. Yeah, definitely. Really appreciate you having me on. So if listeners want to find you uh, online, where should they look? Well, uh, two places probably. Uh, I've got a website at timhuang.org. So T-I-M-H-W-A-N-G dot O-R-G. And I'm also on Twitter, not a bot, uh, at Tim Huang. (laughs) Awesome. Tim, thank you so much. Great. Thank you. If you enjoy listening to the O'Reilly Bots podcast, please consider leaving us a review. Visit iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to the Bots podcast, and let us know what you think of it. Also, reach out on Twitter. And finally, remember to send in a proposal for the O'Reilly AI conference. That's our next conference with a lot of bot-related programming. Use the link in the show notes for this episode, or just Google O'Reilly AI conference. We'd love to see you there. For the O'Reilly Bots podcast, I'm John Bruner.